Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Hi on listeners, Naima Reza here. Another week, another Twitter Spaces bonus episode. This one was taped on Monday night and covers two topics with two guests. In the first part of the episode, Kara is joined by Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland, identifiable by his beautiful English accent. They discuss the Great British Bake Off of 2022, not the cooking show, but the politics, including the resignation of Liz Truss and the rise of Rishi Sunak, the UK's next prime minister. In the second half, Friedland and Kara are joined by Jonathan Greenblatt, the national director and CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. The trio discusses the rise of populism and hate speech world over, and talks about Friedland's, aka British Jonathan's, new book, The Escape Artist, The Man Who Broke Out of Auschwitz to Warn the World. They also speak about the anti-Semitic remarks made by the musician Ye, formerly known as Kanye West. Since this taping, Adidas, which has been reviewing its business dealings with Ye and his Yeezy brand, has cut ties with the artist. We've left that conversation unedited, however, as Greenblatt discusses that suspending Ye may not be enough to redeem Adidas. Here's the spaces with Kara and the two Jonathans. We'll start with Jonathan Friedland, the John One. You'll be known as John One, um, and the <laughs> and the great uh, British fiasco. I don't know what else to say. Welcome. It's been a big day in the UK. Explain to those who don't understand what's going on. What's going on? Well, that could be anybody here, actually. Yeah. If we're going to explain to people who don't know what's going on, because it's been baffling and bewildering in equal measure now. Well, you could say for weeks, you could say for months, you could even Mm -hmm. say for six years. I think this all goes back really to the decision, the Brexit Uh decision, which injected just huge political instability. But the most recent uh, iteration of that was the very brief 44-day-long prime ministership of one Liz Truss. Right. who was own, only became prime minister the week the queen died. So you'll mm-hmm. remember how recently that was. Uh, she was there because Boris Johnson flamed out famously mm-hmm. in the summer. Mm-hmm. She was elected over the summer and just torched her own administration with mm-hmm. such speed, such velocity that nobody had really ever seen anything like that before, mainly by issuing an economic set of plans, a budget that just tanked uh, British currency, sterling, mm-hmm. and sent interest rates skyrocketing, the cost of borrowing for the government. Explain the what the plan was. It was essentially to give a tax break for the wealthy, correct? Because she's a... She's yeah, it, 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 somebody described it as... Ra- it was trickle-down economics to, a, a, in the most neat form. It was sort of undistilled, undiluted um, trickle-down economics. Someone described it as Reaganism without the dollar which mm-hmm. I think is a good way of putting it. It was the sort of thing, in a way, the United States could get away with because the world is desperate to lend money to the United States. Mm-hmm. But for a country like Britain to suddenly announce it was going to borrow money in order to give tax cuts to the very richest, literally the 1%, to get to abolish the top rate of tax, so the, the extra rate that was there for the highest earners, gone. Uh, there was a move to lift the cap on bonuses for bankers. Right. I mean, it was almost like the sort of Mr. Burns style politics. It was like, how mm-hmm. would you do a cartoon version of the least popular reverse Robin Hood, stealing from the poorest, because it was they who were going to suffer, to right. give to the richest. It mm-hmm. was almost a cartoon of plutocratic, sort of ultra-conservative economics, but it tanked the economy. So it didn't become a moral problem, it became an economic mm-hmm. problem. Right. And she also had given energy subsidies. There's a whole bunch of things in this mini-budget, right? Is that what it was called? A mini-budget? They called it a mini budget. There was really nothing mini about it. She was Mm -hmm. borrowing already before anything had happened, 150 billion pounds, which is you know closing in on 200 billion dollars to pay pay, help people with their energy bills because Mm -hmm. the price of gas and electricity had Mm -hmm. had skyrocketed. 
The markets were already pretty nervous about that, but they mm-hmm. thought, okay, she'll come up with a mini budget, a financial, a fiscal plan that will tell the markets how she proposes to pay for it. And mm-hmm. instead of doing that, she just said, you know, I'm in that hole. Guess what? I'm going to dig even deeper and get right. deeper into borrowing. And, her, and, and her her theory was that this would lift innovation right in the right in the face of a recession, correct? And energy prices and everything else and inflation. It, explain explain exactly. what inflation is in Britain right now, because everybody's we have much lower inflation than in Europe at this point. Yeah, no, we, we've got double digit inflation. Inflation is over 10 percent. Uh, it means that when people are so food is very expensive, you can actually see it in your, you know, weekly online shop. Suddenly there's, you know, if it was a one in front, it's now a two. Uh, the, mm-hmm. You know, over $100 or pounds, it would be now 200 pounds. That has leapt up. Uh, gas prices, obviously, but the big cost for people is, uh, yes, energy bills, but then also just paying off their home loans, their mortgages um, mm-hmm. and uh, rent. All of that is through the roof. And so instead of, um, you know, calming that down and suddenly trying to f- fight the uh, rise surging inflation, she just poured gasoline on it and made it the the fires of inflation rage even higher. Um, And it was it was so swift. It happened while the finance minister was making the statement, you could see the cost of borrowing rising, which would immediately Mm -hmm. be passed on to homeowners. And it just got worse and worse. And instead of calming people, she and her finance finance minister said, there's going to be more. You know, Mm -hmm. we're going to do more of this because they were high on this very ideological, supercharged Reaganism, supercharged Thatcherism, that Mm -hmm. even people on the right just said, whoa, 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 you don't, you know, even Thatcher and Reagan didn't do this. They waited till inflation was under control in the 80s. Uh, and there was none of that. So it it panicked people. So she she fired the finance minister and hired another one, Jeremy Hunt, correct? But that wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. And she It wasn't enough. Right. Yeah. And so it was partly because people could see that she had no sort of chops herself to calm people. She wasn't a good speaker. She couldn't communicate. Mm-hmm. She looked frozen in the headlights. She did TV mm-hmm. interviews where she seemed as if she was, you know, robotic or mm-hmm. on some kind of medication. You know, she seemed mm-hmm. weirdly, oddly sedated. And people mm-hmm. just thought this is not the, you know, but the markets, but also the voters didn't feel they could have any confidence in her at all. And so her own members of parliament in a parliamentary system, it's they who have to turn on her. They said they no longer have confidence. And within days she was gone. She was gone. And and um and then there was this runoff which which was among without going into tons of details, you have to get to a certain amount of MPs on your side saying you can run and then you become the prime minister, right? And there's three there were three. Uh Boris Johnson being one of them. Uh, but right. he dropped out and uh I'm blanking on the woman's name, but um Penny can- Mordant. Mordant, right, right. Penny Mordant. Anyway, that's a great name. Um, it's a quite had Dickensian hardly, yeah. name, isn't it? It is, yes. And then, um, and then she didn't get enough. She got maybe twenty-five or twenty-six. And then Boris dropped in out of his vacation, beach vacation. Correct. That's right. I mean, you know, the system was that members of parliament um, uh, were going to have to choose who would be um, the new replacement leader and therefore mm-hmm. automatically the prime minister under our system. And there, yeah, there were three runners and riders. The, all the drama, of course, was about the comeback of Boris Johnson. It just strikes mm-hmm. me as interesting that, you know, in a way that American politics hanging over is, does Donald Trump come back over mm-hmm. Israeli politics? Does Netanyahu come back over British politics? Does Boris Johnson come back? These three big populist charismatic mm-hmm. figures. And so all eyes were on Boris Johnson. As you say, he's been on vacation more or less since he quit in July, even though mm-hmm. this is he's meant to be working as a lawmaker. No, mm-hmm. he'd been on vacation, but he jets back in, expecting really to be greeted with the sort of return yeah. of the hero. And right. instead, it didn't really come. So he had to clear this hurdle of 100 members of parliament had to say, we would nominate him even before a contest could happen. And they right. were briefing over the weekend, classic Boris Johnson. Yes, we've done 100. We've got 100. Yet, yeah, what are their names? And it was classic, you know, you wouldn't know her, she goes to another school. You know, they couldn't name the names (laughs) and they couldn't clear that hurdle of 100. And so this morning, or 2 p.m. today, the deadline was to reveal how many uh, Mm -hmm. backers you had. Boris Johnson dropped out last night because it was clear he didn't, couldn't, he said he had, but no one believed it. He couldn't clear 100. Penny Mordant the same. And so because no one else had cleared the, the hurdle of 100, automatically, without a vote. And by the way, that's quite controversial Mm -hmm. here. Rishi Sunak has been made prime minister without the vote of a single member of parliament. 
All right. So now it's Rishi Sunak, who is um, who is number two to Liz Truss. He didn't beat her the last time, but now he was sort of the 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 one in waiting, essentially the lady in waiting. So to speak. That's right. Partly almost because he lost to her is why he mm-hmm. was the front runner. Why do I say that? Because his whole campaign was to say, if you do what you're proposing to do, you're going to mm-hmm. tank the whole economy. You've got right. to be crazy to do what you're saying. And right. people on her side were saying, he's such a killjoy. He's a spoil mm-hmm. sport. He's ruining all our fun. He keeps mm-hmm. saying all this boring stuff about numbers and money and markets. Who wants right. to listen to him? And never right. before that I've ever seen in politics has some an opponent been so swiftly vindicated. Right. Everything right. he said would happen happened. And he's it happened a banker. Within days. For people who don't know, he's a banker, an investment banker, very a finance geek, a centrist, correct? We would call him that in the party or he's a Brexiteer, well, but he's still. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, compared to the lunatics who've been running things after, yes, he was mm-hmm. centrist compared to her. But mm-hmm. pro-Brexit, and funnily enough, she wasn't back in 2016. She flipped. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he was ideologically pro-Brexit. He is a big free market, Reaganite, Thatcherite, small state guy. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, and so therefore, quite ideological. But what he is, is he does live at least in the real world. And mm-hmm. he does count. And so he, you know, he knows how to count. So he looks right. at those numbers. He looks at what's happening to the currency and says, even though ideologically I would love to cut everyone's taxes, we right. can't right now because the economy right. can't take it. So if right. that makes him a centrist, I would call him more, uh, you know, he lives, he's, he's in the reality-based community. Right. That's the and, difference. And he's quite wealthy. He's married uh, to the, the, his wife is the, is the heir to the emphasis fortune in India, correct? That's, that's um, exactly right. And um, and uh, I know her father a little bit. Um, and he is that a controversy at all? He's got a, almost a billion. He's richer than the Queen, correct? Yes, he is. I mean, it's hugely controversial. One of the reasons why, when he ran ran in the summer, mm-hmm. even though everybody could see that he was way smarter and sharper than Liz Truss and lived in the real world as opposed to in um, La La Land, the reason why partly conservatives didn't go for him is because they thought we can never win an election in a climate of a cost of living crisis with the guy who's richer than the queen. Right. And there are all these populist tropes about him. He would wear these on the campaign trail Prada sneakers that were yeah. uh, you know valued at some huge sum yeah, suits very, that were thousands houses. of dollars. He's got a house in California right now. He's got a house in Santa Monica, correct? Yeah, a house in Santa Monica. He's got homes everywhere. He's a he's he's look. He's part of that absolute ultra naught point naught 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 one percent. Let alone the one percent. He lives a life different from everyone else here. Right. That was covered up for a while during the COVID pandemic. He was very popular because he was the guy handing out what they called furlough money, meaning paying people to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And he was very popular when he was. Dishy Rishi, good mm-hmm. a reference partly to him being <laughs> handsome, but also to him dishing out the cash. So he was popular then; they liked that. But then, right. uh, uh, but once people began to you know look closely at him and realize that he had a personal lifestyle and profile way out of tune with everyone, right, else. with the average British. So he's, yeah. as you say, he's dishy um, and uh, young. Uh, much younger than most politicians. I think he's forty-two. Right. Is that correct? Um, yes. And and he's, um, uh, he, you know, he's part of a set that's different. He's also the first person of color to run the British government. Correct. The, that's this correct. is huge. Yes, yeah. he is. He's the, mm-hmm. he's the first non-white person. He's the first person of color to um, to be the uh, prime minister of this country. That's huge. Mm-hmm. He practices another religion. I mean, mm-hmm. he isn't. You know, I know that. You know, there've been. A, a, politicians, black or Indian politicians, obviously in the United States, mm-hmm. but they, they tend to be, the ones who are elected to the top jobs tend to be Christian. Mm-hmm. He's a Hindu, a practicing, faithful Hindu. Mm-hmm. He's a British mm-hmm. Indian. Um, and so that is, and again, that has caused debate too, because there are plenty of people of color who are saying, well, he doesn't represent me. Mm-hmm. He's not representative of, of people of color because, mm-hmm. or brown people, as they, you know, people are saying here, because he doesn't have the life that we have. He doesn't know the mm-hmm. circumstances we have. And so there's triggered that very familiar debate about does diversity count or does it only count if you have the right views, the correct views? And so correct. the left have tied themselves up in a few knots about Rishi Sunak. Should they welcome it for diversity reasons or oppose it because he's a billionaire from one of the most elite uh, 
you know, second private schools so, that the country country knows. So does this give any opening for the, he? They're not going to run another election, presumably, or don't they don't have to? Is that correct? Or can they can the labor press given this mess? Labour cannot force an election because it's all up to the votes in Parliament. And so Mm -hmm. if the Conservatives have still from an election that was back in 2019, they have a healthy majority. If they don't Mm -hmm. want something to happen, it won't happen under our system. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, there is no way there can be an election unless the Conservatives themselves vote for it, which they could if they just fight each other and collapse again, like they have Mm -hmm. done you know, over Liz Truss and over Boris Johnson, then yes, it could happen. Um, But one of the things Rishi Sunak said today was, no early election. I'm not going to do it. But he doesn't have to at all, correct? He doesn't have to until legally their mandate runs out in December of 2024, Mm -hmm. because they were elected in December of 2019. Mm -hmm. And in Britain, you have five-year terms. So he can carry on governing legally until December 2024. And he's in no hurry because right now, if you look at the opinion polls, the Conservative Party Tories, would yeah. be wiped out. The Tories would be wiped out. That's correct. Um, obliterated. Right. And so he, the last thing he wants is to have an election now. What he's hoping is he can steady the ship, deal with some of the chaos created by Liz Truss, and, and potentially and go Johnson. back to the voters. Let's be fair. And Boris Johnson, yep. not just... Yeah, I was All thinking right. of just the immediate stuff. But yes, the deep right. stuff is Boris Johnson as well. Absolutely. So she, he can sit tight. He, there's no pressure that would change this in Britain right now to, for him to move if he doesn't want to, unless there was unless he did more screw ups and it became so, you know, yes. untoward that they couldn't do it. it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there would be there would have to be a rebellion on his own side, mm-hmm. people turning on him. Uh, and that could, you know, it's, given what's happened, you would never say never. Mm-hmm. But that's what would, you know, the arithmetic is such that if he doesn't uh, doesn't want it and doesn't screw up, then it won't happen. So, what is the profile of the of, of British governing now? A pro Ukrainian war. What does the United States have to think about with this new prime minister? It's a very good question because it goes to this thing about what are the Conservative Party now? What do they even stand for? Mm-hmm. Because there is uncertainty and confusion about that because they are ideologically really riven. Um, look, just take the small question of, you know, how big should the state be? How much you know government spending should there be? Mm-hmm. Liz Truss wanted to shrink it right down ideologically, even though she was splashing the cash for those energy bills. Um, that's on the one hand. There are people who are are on the right who say shrink it down. And yet there was Boris Johnson, beloved of the right of the party, who wanted to spend big because he was one of those kind of conservatives in a completely different tradition that wanted grand projects, big infrastructure, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, partly to do with his ego, actually, about, you know, big things that would bear his name. Um, big spender. So they're not united on that. They are united on Ukraine. There is really next to no, you know, pro-Russia faction. There's no equivalent to some of those Republicans who are Mm -hmm. apologists for Vladimir Putin. There's no real equivalent of that. Um, So they're solid on that. The big problem, I think, for the Biden administration is still that this is a government, Rishi Sunak and the others, committed to Brexit. And that has led to this big problem about Northern Ireland, which has this Mm -hmm. odd in-between status, one foot in, one foot out, the European single market. And that causes huge problems for the big peace agreement there that brought peace Mm -hmm. to that civil war in Northern Ireland um, back in the end of the 1990s. And Joe Biden has always said, you know, Irish American proudly, that that is really important for him. And he was out of sympathy with uh, Boris Johnson and with Liz Truss on that issue. And I don't Mm -hmm. see any progress on that soon. Plus, um, from what I read, people around the world were getting pretty worried about the contagion effect mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. by Britain tanking its own economy, could that spread? And you've had the International Monetary Fund warning Britain, mm-hmm. look, we've got our eye on you because if you mess up, you know, if you sneeze, yeah. we catch a cold. And right. so there, there's, there are big interests at play here, besides the sort of large big picture one, which is, you know, Britain, by leaving the European Union, did step away. And there are plenty of countries, and I think the United States would be one of them, that says, look, the world is a dangerous place. Come back, Britain. We need you. You're, mm-hmm. You've been on this weird six-year kind of bender, and mm-hmm. we need you to come right back. Right. And do you suspect he will have a strong relationship with Joe Biden? Well, I think, you know, he will have uh, plenty, he's, he's work cut out, but I think everything that we've seen of him so far is he wants stability, calm, mm-hmm. and order. And all one of the things that would reassure the financial markets is the appearance of 
the the the, the you know being back under adult management again, mm-hmm. and a way to signal that is good relationship with the American president, the American because it president. suggests that is yeah, and with the Europeans actually, mm-hmm. anything which suggests um, statecraft, responsible statecraft. Mm-hmm. You know, you we've had vandals in charge here for a while, disruptors. Right. You know, Truss and Johnson both reveled in the name of being disruptors. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any market for disruption right now. We've had enough of disruption, thanks. Right, and, and the British people, they're different. All the British people are different, but they, they are for this or they're just sort of sitting agog like, oh, good heavens. Well, the popular support for the government has absolutely fallen through the floor. And Mm -hmm. it's a big question whether they will look at Rishi Sunak and say, okay, the last, we're going to erase the last six weeks from our memory, pretend it didn't happen. The meme that's been circulating is the Bobby Ewing coming out of the shower (laughs) scene in Dallas. And people are saying, if that's what we would like to happen in British politics, pretend the whole thing was a bad dream. Yeah. Um, But it's very hard to do that. And partly because, you know, David from the Bush, former Bush speechwriter, said, you know, it's not recently he's made this clever remark. He said, you know, you can change the captain, but until the the new captain admits Mm -hmm. that it was a mistake to scupper the ship six years ago Mm -hmm. with Brexit, the ship will keep on sinking. And I think there is a body of opinion here that will think, you know, look, he seems a nice guy and he's obviously smart um, and he's better than the other two. But still, the country is yeah. in a da- on a downward path, and that's because of yeah. decisions. And then there's always the the possibility ago. of Johnson returning at any point. He's like the goblin that could pop out of the very oh, much. Yeah. And he he said that. I mean, he said in his statement when he dropped I'll out, back. the time for my return is you know it's not right now. Yeah, meaning and yeah, as and as you absolutely, I'll be back. He said when he finally did resign, his final speech to the House of Commons to Parliament was his final words were "hasta la vista, baby." He said, yeah. meaning, I you know I'm coming back. Okay. Lastly, what does Murdoch think of the whole thing? Obviously, he has an impact, or or the media, um, all the different tabloids. Besides being very dishy. Much liking him. Murdoch is very important in all of this. I would mm-hmm. say that you, Murdoch's um, key lieutenant or, or his key um, ally in the Conservative Party is Michael Gove, who's mm-hmm. been a, min- a minister in many governments. Mm-hmm. If he comes back in a big way under Rishi Sunak, that will be an important sign. But I thought the other sign was that Rupert Murdoch's newspapers and other right-wing newspapers, and most of them in this country, are right-wing. You're talking to a guy from The Guardian. It's one of the few left-of-centre papers here. But the right-of-centre papers tellingly and interestingly they were not pro boris johnson yeah they were not saying come back they were saying as nicely as they could you know you're a great guy but now is not the right time and that played a part that played a part in him not going yes the way. they were not sticking with him support for this show comes from atlassian Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for On with Kara Swisher comes from Delete Me. Unfortunately, there's a very good chance that some of your private information is available on the internet for anyone to see. In fact, I'm sure of it. And even worse, to sell it. Your name, number, home address, and other private information might be floating on the internet without your knowledge. Delete Me is a subscription service that wipes your personal information from hundreds of people search databases on the web. Delete Me finds and removes personal information sold by data brokers that you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. 
You can tell Delete Me exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They will send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I really have enjoyed Delete Me. It's been pretty shocking, and I'm pretty good around uh, issues of my information online. But there was so much information all over the place. It was very easy to navigate. You can see right there on the Delete Me um, report that you get what is out there and what you need to do and pick and choose what you think is important to eliminate. You can take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me now with a special discount for our listeners. You can get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash Kara and use the promo code Kara at checkout. Again, you can get 20% off by going to joindeleteme.com slash Kara and enter the code Kara at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash Kara, code Kara. All right. So um, I'm going to switch the discussion. It's fascinating. I can't wait to see how this guy does. He's really an interesting character. Um, but I also want to talk about your new book, which is a good segue into bringing on our next guest. John's book is called The Escape Artist. I'm going to talk about the book in a second, but I want to bring in Jonathan uh, Greenblatt, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, to kind of set us up for what's going on today. And by the way, stick around for any audience questions about London. I'm sorry to split this up, but it's good to have John. Uh, Friedland talking about British politics too. So Jonathan Greenblatt, welcome. Good evening. Thank you for having me, Kara. So explain to us what's going on now. You've been, I've seen you everywhere, obviously, uh, with Kanye West and some other people. Um, it's really a, um, the rise of anti-Semitism seems to have, again, uh, and it doesn't go away ever, um, have been, and you and I have talked about it online and things like yeah. that. And let me let me read you a quote from the ADL's Anti-Semitism Uncovered Guide. While anti-Semitism obviously harms and worries Jews, we must also be mindful that it threatens democracy and is an indicator of the health of society as a whole and of society's capacity to think reasonably and behave humanely. So I want you to sort of give us sort of what the landscape from your perspective is with the rise of anti-Semitism and far, you know, the far right in the U.S., well, look, I think a few things. So number one, indeed, anti-Semitism is sometimes described as the oldest hatred. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to go away and it persists over millennia, different countries, different cultures. And it is this, you can think about anti-Semitism, Kara, as a conspiracy theory about the way the world works mm-hmm. that it is positions indeed. Jews at the center of a nefarious plot because they are too greedy or they have too much power or because they're not legitimate. But the, the, the evil of anti-Semitism is its ability to adapt and take the shape of whatever psychosis a particular person or a particular mm-hmm. community might have. So indeed, as you were saying a moment ago, we definitely see in America today that anti-Semitism has reached historic new highs. So in 2021, the ADL, which has been tracking this information for almost 45 years, counted the highest number of anti-Semitic incidents we've ever seen in America, 2,717. Um, and when I say we counted, the ADL, I have 25 field offices that mm-hmm. get reports that investigate every one and verify them. So mm-hmm. I'm talking about- And they can certain, range. Tell us what they, what they range from, so people have an idea. They can range from- acts of harassment, like a kid being bullied at school, Mm -hmm. a child or an adult being yelled at on a bus for obviously being Jewish, Mm -hmm. or as we saw happen, a rash of flyers were dropped in um, Los Angeles over the weekend where they had anti-Semitic flyers in plastic bags, some of them with pebbles and reportedly care some of them with ashes mm-hmm. inside the plastic baggies, which is particularly, mm-hmm. I think, grotesque. It is. So sometimes it's harassment. Sometimes it's vandalism. Like, for example, swastika on a house mm-hmm. or Jews get out on a business or mm-hmm. Jewish stars and such. Right. And sometimes it's actual violence, mm-hmm. which can be an assault. It can be uh, mass casualty events. I mean, this Thursday is the four-year anniversary of the massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue, where 11 Jews were murdered, you know, while they prayed on mm-hmm. a Saturday morning in Pittsburgh. Right, right. So it runs and, a gamut. And, and so one of the things you and I have been talking about the uh, online as being one of, that's the one thing you and I have talked about a lot, and your efforts mm-hmm. to to talk to the online companies about that. But before I get to that, I want to talk, obviously, a person getting a lot of the attention is Kanye West, um, mm-hmm. his very public 
person, very famous person, his anti-Semitism has a big impact. Can you can you speak to the rallying behind him since? What, what have you? I don't. Yeah, I mean, sure. to say, have you spoken to him? I don't think he speaks to people uh, except yeah, in anti-Semitic tropes. But what? Yeah. Talk to me about this impact and why you think you're seeing this. And I want to then talk about corporations who still work or promote their mm-hmm. partnerships with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are a few dimensions to this. So first, I mean. I'll say right up front, Kara, like, I don't want to minimize or stigmatize mental illness. There's a lot of reports about Kanye being bipolar or Kanye having other issues. I'm, I don't I don't have a clinician's ability to diagnose him. Mm-hmm. That being said, I don't think illness is an excuse for intolerance. Mm-hmm. And when one of the most prominent entertainers in the world, this man has hundreds of millions of fans. He has scores of millions of followers on social media platforms. I think he had 31 million on Twitter alone. Yeah. When he says he wants to go death con three, you know, in all caps on Jewish people, mm-hmm. I mean, that is a threat. I mean, that's not, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it means, but I don't think it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, no. When he blames Jewish Zionists for controlling him, or he claims that, for example, the Jewish underground media mafia is trying to, you know, hurt him, or he claims that Disney, a Jewish company, or Jewish record companies and so on and so forth are trying, and he said things like they're trying to milk and own black people. I mean, it's very incendiary language Mm -hmm. that of course can inflame people. Mm -hmm. And in an environment where we were just saying anti-Semitism is empirically on the rise, where Jews already feel a degree of anxiety about what's happening Mm -hmm. on college campuses and workplaces, just in public, public spaces. His he is adding a kind of fuel to the fire that should have everyone alarmed. Uh, right. It's not normal. It's not OK. And and you you understand why he's doing this now. The last person who was fam- this famous, I'm thinking is Mel Gibson. Is Am I incorrect? Yeah. Or has no, well, let's been- let's. I mean, look, people like Nick well, Cannon. We'll get to Donald something. Trump in a second, but go ahead. There, Nick there, Cannon. Is, there is Trump. People like the entertainment field, I was going to say, like Nick Cannon. Mm-hmm. But then Nick accounted for his errors and like apologized and went on what some might call like a learning process. Or mm-hmm. I think about Myers Leonard, who was a player with the Heat who had a similar thing, or John Galliano, the designer. Mel mm-hmm. Gibson, um, suffice to say, I'm not a fan. But mm-hmm. while he said some incredibly hateful things, think about the difference. He said some hateful things. He was shunned by Hollywood when that happened. However, Kanye West got on, went on, went on Instagram, then was you know, shut down, went over to Twitter and said the horrible things, then was shut down, then went on Chris Cuomo and Piers Morgan and on a few podcasts and said the same things again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is just today, I think a tide has turned in part because we've seen this explosion of anti-Semitic propaganda Mm -hmm. events in LA. But at first, you know, the Hollywood community barely said anything. John Mm -hmm. Legend, Amy Schumer, Josh Gad and David Schwimmer. And that's mm-hmm. literally the only people who initially stepped up. But today, thankfully, uh, um, a few big names like Kim Kardashian, Khloe Kardashian, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Jessica Seinfeld, and others stepped forward. Mm-hmm. But until then, there was it was deafening silence. And still to this moment, I think what's more notable than the few people who've said something is the far larger share of people who've said nothing. Who said nothing? Now that includes corporations. Um, but uh, let's see, who has he been shunned? Who has he broken relationships well, so with? I guess CAA just got just broke up. CAA. I mean, so J.P. Morgan dropped him a mm-hmm. few weeks ago after the White Lives Matter T-shirt debacle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then over the last forty-eight hours, Balenciaga dropped him, and uh, CAA announced they were parting ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, MRC did something pretty amazing. They had produced a multi-million dollar documentary on Kanye mm-hmm. that they're shelving because of what he's done, you know, at great expense. Right. Um, which that was all welcome. UTA came out with an important kind of statement. But here's the thing. Like, if you look at Balenciaga, they didn't mention his anti-Semitism. No. Or him. And, uh, I mean, Kim Kardashian didn't mention him, which was interesting. She didn't call him out directly. She was his ex-wife, and certainly he's mm-hmm. been harassing her in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, stuff. the things he said about her in these tirades, mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't want my children to hear this stuff. Right. Um, so it, I suppose she had to be more careful, but not really. Gap and Adidas continue to back him, correct? Well, let's, it does so them. Gap dropped him, right. although I know I've spoken to senior leadership at Gap. 
I think they're trying to, you know, run through the inventory and run as far away from Kanye as they can. But mm -hmm. Adidas is worth pausing on for a moment. Mm -hmm. You know, Adidas uh, has a co-created a line called Easy oh, I know. with Kanye West. My son has some. Yeah. There you go. One of mine too. And it's reportedly two billion dollars of gross revenue on a twenty-five billion dollar P and L. I mean, it's a big piece of business for them. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, Kara, is they announced that they were quote unquote putting the relationship under review after the White Lives Matter t-shirt. But in the days that followed, Kara, mm -hmm. despite the rancid anti-Semitism and the just vituperative anti-Jewish threats, mm -hmm. Adidas didn't say boo Yeah, day after day after day. And so I've spoken with the senior exec, with senior leadership there. I've spoken with some of the large investors there. And it makes you wonder when they say the relationship is under review, what more do they need to review? Mm -hmm. and, no, I'm, and I'm shocked that they haven't said anything. I'm sort of... It's, it's kind of stunning. And I don't know yeah. if you're aware, but the company, its roots are in Nazi Germany. It is indeed. Yes. 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 I think many people online have pointed that out. So so moving from Kanye, one of the things we talked about, I, I, I do want to talk about uh, Donald Trump's statement, which mm -hmm. was strange and loaded if I don't mm -hmm. you know or perhaps it wasn't I can't tell um before it's too late um whatever that means essentially evangelical Christians are better Jews than Jewish people are which was an interesting way to yeah. consider it um can you talk to that I mean is it just sure. acceptable and of course there's Marjorie Taylor Greene spouting off an anti-semitic remark every five seconds I think um, yeah I mean look so there are a few things here so number one I don't think Jewish people need uh, the former president to tell us who are the good Jews or not, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he made his post on his unregulated and unhinged, you know, truth mm -hmm. social platform. Mm -hmm. And I think this is another reason to be wary of Trump being permitted to return to Twitter, a platform mm -hmm. with 400 million news. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. Mm -hmm. But what's, what's, what's difficult here is that when Donald Trump tries to, if you will, Jew-splain, to mm -hmm. us, who are the loyal Jews, who are the good Jews. That just evokes classic anti-Semitic myths about dual loyalty and mm -hmm. where we are supposed to align ourselves. I don't need Donald Trump or certainly any other political figure, Marjorie Taylor Greene included, to tell me whether or not I'm a good Zionist or a good American or a good person. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. idea that he, when he does this, he invokes these, again, age-old tropes about are Jews really loyal to America? Are they loyal to Israel? Frankly, Kara, this stuff isn't new from Donald Trump. He's been doing mm -hmm. this for years, and it's mm -hmm. it's it's just as noxious today and ugly as it was when he first did it back in 2015. So he also um, uh, it was it, he's also on True Social. Let's get to social media, and then I want to bring in John Friedland um, mm -hmm. about his book because um, it's the same issues. It's the exact same issues, which is kind mm -hmm. of shocking. Um, uh, Talk a little bit about that. What is the, um, what is, where are we with social media companies? Oops, about the, so, the social media, yeah. sorry. This yeah, is my social Apple media, that's okay. that's okay. Um, the social media companies now, you and I have gone round yeah. and round with them about these issues. Um, where are they now? They did kick off, um, they did kick them off Instagram and, and, and Twitter. Elon so Musk is about to own Twitter on Friday, probably. Yeah, I mean, and, I think, look, there are a bunch of very difficult issues. I mean, I, in some ways, I have been optimistic, or maybe the better word is hopeful, about mm -hmm. Elon Musk, mm -hmm. because I think he has solved some very big problems. I don't know, rocketry, transportation, mm -hmm. batteries, etc. And yet, I look at this situation, and I am, I'm not alarmed, I'm sort of terrified. Mm -hmm. I mean, his flirting with Trump, his, like you know, lifting up Medved and like playing mm -hmm. footsie with the Russians. Mm -hmm. And now this with Kanye, like welcoming mm -hmm. him back. Mm -hmm. He welcomed Kanye back to Twitter after he had been kicked off Instagram for anti-Jewish tirades. Right. Yes, I am aware. I just think we continue to have a problem where these companies are entirely unregulated and they're allowed to have on who they want or don't want, but they are warping our public discourse in deeply dangerous ways. And they're creating an environment that is unsafe. For minorities like Jewish people. I mean, all it takes is one crazy person to see the stuff that Kanye is saying and to feel motivated to go take action against the, quote, right. Jewish Zionists. It's very frightening. What will you do if Elon buys on Friday and lets Trump and Kanye back on? He, he has said he spoke to him. 
which sounds like I called the dude and it said not cool. That's what it felt like. Like it so, Elon, me. Elon, you mean? Well, yeah. so there's two things. There's two things. So number one, Trump said he spoke to Kanye, mm-hmm. and when asked about Kanye's anti-Semitism, Trump's response was, "Quote: Well, he's always been very nice to me." Right. Well. So yes. you, you know, th- there you go. Yeah. And then Elon indeed sort of implied that they talked, and he kind of told him, "But look, this is the problem, right? The lack of transparency." is incredibly damning. Mm -hmm. And while Elon might be able to finally, you know, turn the company around in terms of generating a a more meaningful kind of profit and making the business model work, Mm -hmm. he could screw up society along the way. And I think that's deeply damning. And and the idea that our our public square becomes the plaything for oligarchs is alarming. Mm -hmm. And it may be how capitalism works, but unregulated markets never work well for consumers. And as we've talked about before, Kara, we need the government to come in. We need 230 to be reconsidered. We simply need these companies to be liable if, if you will, libels committed on their platforms, like every other publishing. Sure. Defamation, like Alex Jones and, you know, things like that, like which, of Jones. course, a lot of people didn't, a lot of people on his side did not think that was fair. I heard, I watched a lot of, like, he said what he wanted. I'm like, it's still defamation, you dumbass. Support for On with Kara Sisher comes from Babbel. Our phones have gotten pretty good at translating speech on the fly. If you're traveling to a new country and you'd like to order a chicken sandwich with pickles, an app will probably see you through. But what if you want to chat with your server about the neighborhood or other dishes on the menu or your love of pickles? Real conversations with real people don't lend themselves to translation apps. Genuine connection requires a genuine grasp of the language, and that's something Babbel can offer. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with lessons created by real people for real conversations. Babbel doesn't rely on artificial intelligence to build its 10-minute lessons. Instead, they're handcrafted by more than 200 language experts focused on teaching phrases and vocabulary you'll actually need to communicate. I really like it. I'm using Babbel, and I've been able to use it here in Argentina where I'm visiting my son, Louis. It's a really efficient way to learn a language. I do them very quick. It's 10 minutes. It's very user-friendly. Lots of pictures. I was never good at languages, and I'm really enjoying using the Babbel app. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash swisher. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash swisher, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash swisher. And you know how to spell that. Rules and restrictions may apply. Support for this show comes from Ramp. Are you overwhelmed with managing your business expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? Is your finance software just not cutting it? Or maybe you're just looking to cut all that wasteful spending. Ramp could be a total game changer for you and your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Plus, Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Not only that, but Ramp can save you money. They estimated that businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Kara, ramp.com slash Kara, R-A-M-P dot com slash Kara. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. So, Jonathan, I want you to bring you in, Jonathan Wan, uh, Friedland, uh, mm. in talking about your book, because a lot of this, um, I really enjoyed your book. It was, um, it was a, I don't want to say it's a thriller, but it's a page turner for sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about, the, it's called The Escape Artist, and it's someone who escaped, explain your book, explain, I know you do a better job than I. Thank you. I mean, that's kind of you, and I'm glad you, you liked it. It's The Escape Artist, The Man Who Broke Out of Auschwitz to Warn the World. It tells the mm-hmm. story of Rudolf Werber, who was a teenager in Auschwitz and broke out of Auschwitz uh, when he was 19. Uh, You know, it it was vanishingly rare for Jews to be able to do that. Only a Mm -hmm. handful ever did it. Mm -hmm. He did it when he was a teenager, and he was driven to do it because 
he came to this great insight, which was that he could see because he was working on his job, mm-hmm. unloading those cattle mm-hmm. wagons, cattle cars, full of Jews day and night. And he realized that not one of them knew the fate that awaited them, the reason why they had got uh, onto those trains in a relatively orderly fashion and had calmly lined up mm-hmm. was because they had been lied to from start to finish right. with an, uh, ever increasingly elaborate lies. And so he made it. Which he, was, we're uh, going it, to give you a shower, we're going to give you food, just get in, we're just moving you. And so, the big lie was, we are resettling you in the East. You're going to have new lives. You know, yes, right. it's bad that you're Which not going to Which is why everybody brought country. everything. So and they brought you, pots and pans and clothes and children's books and children's toys because they thought they were going to have new lives. Right. And that made a huge difference in, in terms of how they behaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he thought the crucial element in the Nazi killing machine, a crucial component, was deception. And therefore, the only way to stop the Nazi killing machine was to break that wall of ignorance, that mm-hmm. tear through that veil of ignorance that meant Jews were arriving on those trains with no idea of their fate. And he just thought somebody has to get out of here and tell the Jews what the, is waiting for them at the end of those railway tracks. And that somebody might as well be me. Right. It's an amazing thing to think of. It's the sort of almost the arrogance of sure. youth that he thought he could do that. So he gets incredibly out. He, he did it. Yeah. He, he, which was a very gripping escape. He gets out um, using, what is it? tobacco and gasoline to keep away the dogs and things like that. Can you um, talk to me about, so he gets out, but nobody listens to him. Well, he he gets out, he has to cross, you know, occupied, Nazi-occupied Poland, crossing marshland and forest and mountains. Uh, He and his fellow escapee, Fred Wetzler, they travel at night, you can't go during the day. Uh, And they make it to their home country of Slovakia. There they make contact with the remnant Jewish community, the handful of Jews Mm -hmm. who are still holding on there. And in an underground basement, you know, in hiding, he uh, pours out everything he's known. He's incredibly, he's memorized all those transports Mm -hmm. because he knew no one would believe a teenage boy. So he thinks I've got to have the facts, chapter and verse, day, dates and day and days of all those transports. They put it into a 32-page single-spaced report, which then goes on its own incredible journey, past hand to hand, crossing borders, you know, a whole cavalcade of extraordinary characters get this report out. It reaches Franklin Roosevelt, the desk of Franklin Roosevelt in Washington. It reaches Winston Churchill in London. It reaches crucially for uh, our story and for Rudolf Verber, it reaches Jewish leaders in Hungary and some, you know, different reactions in different places, sometimes prejudice in London and Washington, you know, the the, the why should we believe these wailing Jews is of what mm-hmm. a foreign office uh, memo writes in Washington. I think, says one army journal, this is too Jewish an account. Uh, this too, Can we have a less Semitic uh, account of uh, what's going on in Nazi Germany? So there's prejudice. Uh, but the other thing which he never bargained for is he encounters just sheer disbelief. Right. Remember, nothing like Auschwitz had ever existed in human history before. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea of a killing factory uh, where 10, 12, 15,000 people are being murdered every day. And therefore, even people who would otherwise be sympathetic, they literally found it unbelievable. They could not believe it. And I think now about the big problems we face, Mm -hmm. often it is not enough just to have the facts set out in front of you. You have to also believe them. And we think that we think it's obvious once you've got the information or the evidence, you'll believe it. But we know from so many issues in our own time now, you can lay out all the evidence in front of people. Mm-hmm. But people have all kinds of guards and defenses in their heads that prevent them receiving news they don't want to hear. Right. And so I think there's huge things in Rudolf Verber's story, in the story of the escape artist for our own time, actually, mm-hmm. that resonate to, for me. I think of, you know, it's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. But something like the climate crisis, you know, we have laid out, scientists have laid out the facts, but there's this step between having the information mm-hmm. to believing it. And that was the wall he ran into. Well, Jonathan, I must tell you, I think the story is extraordinary and it's incredibly inspiring to uh, it's just a reminder, I think, not only of the unfortunate um, persistence of anti-Semitism, but of the resilience of these people in the face of such horrors. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the sheer um, physical resilience, but also, and courage, but also the brilliant ingenuity of mm-hmm. Verba. I mean, what strikes me about his story is he was merely a teenager, and yet he had one amazing insight after another. The first was this realization that deception was central to the Nazi method. Uh, the second was this notion that actually you had to have more than just facts and information. You had to somehow get people to believe right. you. So, um, and that, that was what I think set him apart, partly. So so when you think about this, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, the, the, to today, there's a lot of this, oh, don't worry about it. It's just the typical mm-hmm. Kanye West is crazy or don't believe it'll lead to anything or mm-hmm. so what they put up signs or you're overestimating it. Um, how, do you feel that you're in that? A lot of people are becoming increasingly worried, I, and there's only so many times they can become worried before something actually happens. And I don't mean isolated events, but a real, you know, where it becomes sort of spoken out loud constantly. Yeah, I and, think and you're okay. right. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think we've watched the situation, if you will, deteriorate in recent years. From 2015 to today, we've seen Charlottesville, we've seen Pittsburgh, we've seen Poway. Just, you know, earlier this year, we had the the hostage taken at the synagogue in Colleyville. We had a shooting in Jersey City at a kosher supermarket. We had a stabbing. We have assaults in Brooklyn. And now we have like rabid anti-Zionism on college campuses. We have violent white supremacists putting flyers and driveways all over the United States. Um, I I mean, I've got to be honest with you, Kara. It feels a bit like the frog in boiling water. Mm -hmm. And I think anti-Semitism is often described as the canary in the coal mine. It's kind of like, you know, the uh, stalking horse of, of broader illiberalism and societal de- decay. That's why I think this, this, this moment is so meaningful and, and alarming um, that we've let anti-Semitism run rampant. It's been normalized in our kind of public conversation. Again, thanks social media. Thanks, Mark and Cheryl and whatnot. And by the way, you alluded to this before. We have Christian nationalists openly running for office, whose view of the world excludes Jews, it excludes LGBTQ people, it excludes immigrants, and they're very open about it. And that is is deeply terrifying, that people in positions of leadership think this is somehow okay or normal. There's nothing normal about it. So, Jonathan Friedland, when you look at the book, what are some of the, you know, I hate to say let's have some learnings here, but but what are some of the lessons you think need to happen now when you look back at what happened to this man, this very brave man um, who wasn't believed? Um, and it was it was it, it's a little bit of the same thing, except we don't have I don't know. Twitter. It's like someone would argue, oh, he came with this report. But I noticed that this you could see if this report was around today, someone would like try to dunk on it on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And everyone's an expert, just like you're seeing all these tech bros uh, giving foreign policy advice, which is exhausting on to me, <laughs> at least. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> it's true. Like, I'm it is right. It's all I have high school level of foreign policy <laughs> experience. So, or even that, that's even generous, I'd say fourth grade. Um, right. So um, how do you look at that, John, Jonathan Friedland? And when you think about what's, what your character did, I can't even imagine him today coming back and trying to bring these, these no, uh, ideas. I- I mean, I have thought about that. What would happen to a report like this now? I mean, on one level, information would spread so much faster. I mean, there is a positive side to this. Mm -hmm. He was reduced to handing physical copies, um, you know, to that would pass hand to hand across borders. Mm -hmm. Now, information like that, at a press of a button, the world would know about it. It took months, weeks, and then months to get into the hands of the right people and finally reach London. And every day that went by, thousands more were dead, every hour that people wasted. So on one level, our information world is much better now. But you're right. I I've, I've thought about that, that people would question him now and say, oh, isn't this the guy who once said this? Yeah. You know, and there would be a sort of, there would be reasons to discount it. I suppose the thing to take away from it is we need to think hard about our own barriers to understanding. What barriers do we del- unconsciously perhaps put up to receiving information that is really uncomfortable for us to hear mm-hmm. because people found all kinds of div- ruses and tricks in a way mm-hmm. back then in the 40s to not hear the warning and you know i wrote this book before that movie don't look up came out but it did resonate a bit the idea that yeah. you know that everyone's telling you this is happening and you find all kinds of reasons to look away right and what failed rudolf verber was people wanted desperately to find an excuse 
to look the other way. Right. And we have to, in a way, force ourselves to think. And, I, and I, I've, people have responded to the book this way. They've said, after reading it, they are now going to, in some ways, force themselves to look at things that otherwise they would find, their mind would find a reason not to look at. And that's think, that's hard I, to do, but I think it's I think essential. it's, it's you, one of the things that um, more than most people, I spend more time watching Steve Bannon very carefully because I think in a weird way, he really does understand flooding the he, zone with misinformation. He does. And, he certainly um, does. And confusion and upset that people become after, especially after the pandemic, very upset. Yeah. And therefore, more bad news makes it's just hard, too hard. It's like you'd rather just go into your house and be quiet. So, John, um, I'm going to get to a couple questions. We only have time for a couple questions, but Jonathan um, Greenblatt, what do you, what do you mm-hmm. what do you think the solution is right now? Have you been in touch with you know the companies obviously around Kanye? Oh, yeah. It's sort of like putting out these fires almost continually, but. What do you think needs to happen? Well, look, I have been in touch all day, you know, with companies, with investors, with uh, celebrities, with influence. People are all like, where are we going from here? Mm-hmm. I think, number one, it's almost specifically with respect to Adidas. Mm-hmm. It's almost too late for them to issue a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that is to say it will feel hollow and empty relative to the moment we're in. Mm-hmm. I think they need to do something much more concrete like a programmatic initiative, mm-hmm. introduce some kind of new training effort. I think they've got to really think long and hard because, you know, there's been a lot of criticism, Kara, of these companies kind of virtue signaling mm-hmm. on these different issues of the day. And when a company like Adidas with the Nazi history is faced with a moment right now that would cost them some money. I mean, we know there are issues with Kanye, mm-hmm. but sit silent in the face of this ugliness. I just think like a tweet does not solve the problem. Yes, that so, does not indeed. So what needs to happen? I would say a few things. So I think number one, we really need a whole of society approach. Businesses and celebrities are a great start. I want to see public leaders step up, mayors, governors, you know, elected officials, and reject hate no matter where it's coming from, particularly the kind of right-wing you know, variant that seems to be poisoning the political space these days. Mm-hmm. I'd number two, really want to see universities take this much more seriously and not allow for, as we saw at Berkeley a couple of weeks ago, quote, Zionist free spaces, mm-hmm. but recognize that Jewish students and all students should be welcomed regardless of mm-hmm. how they pray or where they're from or who they love. Mm-hmm. And number three, I think it's really time that we that these issues get attention in the public domain beyond the one-day headline. Mm -hmm. We need to take a serious and deep look at how we're going to combat this rising intolerance. And so I hope media will be much more responsible. Mm -hmm. And again, as relates to social media, Kara, we come back to if we don't see some kind of government intervention, and I'm not even commenting on the ability, again, of Mm -hmm. billionaires to make these platforms their Mm playthings, but we need simple rules that hold the companies accountable for the content that they publish. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not hard, actually. I have a feeling you're going to see them online very soon, all these people you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get to some questions um, from the audience. Go ahead, Evan. Oh, thanks for, so much for this great conversation. On the subject of uh, the UK, I wonder what the mood on the ground is as far as the pound collapsing. Is there is you know is there really concern? Is there panic? Is, you know... I know Brits love to spend vacation overseas and Florida and, and, and Europe. And is, is a recovery, you know, anticipated or likely or is this a new normal? Thank you. I mean, the, the, the look, it's not the British way to be flooding onto the streets and mounting the barricades. People haven't been doing that. Instead, there's been, you know, the a mild raise, rising, raising of the eyebrow and so on. I joke slightly just because British people don't tend to do that kind of protest. But there is there is definite anger about um, the particularly what it's done to uh, this financial reckless financial experiment, what it's done to the bills, household bills people pay for. Yes, we've talked about energy, but also for the cost of rent and for home loans and that is has in some ways radicalized people who who never would previously have been radicalized you have people who voted conservative their whole lives saying they will never do it again but also let's face it we haven't really gone into the hardest period yet because these rises in home loans and interest payments are projected they haven't really kicked in yet and when they do there could be great anger in terms of the currency that is a long long term structural decline you know, I wrote recently that when the Queen 
went on to Kate Elizabeth, came onto the throne in 1952, you would get $2.80 uh, to the pound. And now, you, you know, in the month she died, it went down to basically a dollar to dollar. pound parity. Dollar pound. And yeah. that said something about the decline of the currency and in some ways the decline of the country. But the country was kind of doing okay. And then in 2016, it decided to an act of self-harm and to distance itself from its nearest neighbours by leaving the European Union. And the cost of that is feeding through into people's lives. Yes. Okay, definitely. Uh, Ross, next one. Go ahead, Ross. Hey, Kara. This question's for Jonathan. Uh, just following They're up. Both Jonathan. They're both <laughs> oh, Jonathan. They're both Jonathan. For ADL Jonathan. <laughs> okay, ADL Jonathan. <laughs> so for your last point on what Adidas needs to do, yeah, I'm yeah. a little bit confused as to why no organizations or athletes or international teams yeah. have spoken up that they're wearing Adidas and still promoting a brand that condones anti-Semitism. It, it is a very good question. I actually had an exchange with uh, one of the leagues today, and I won't mention the name, and the response I got was, well, we're going to wait and see what Adidas does. And like that is just inadequate. And to your point, every player who dons Adidas, every team that puts on the uniform, every guy who gets on a court wearing their Stan Smiths, I think they've got to really ask themselves today, is this the brand that I want to represent? Does this brand represent my values? Did you? Th- who is the most prominent athlete under Adidas right now? Um, uh, there are a bunch of NBA players who are under Adidas. Mm-hmm. I don't have the names in front of me at the moment, mm-hmm. but there are a bunch of very prominent players in the NBA. But look, le- you know, Maverick Carter and LeBron had were going to have Kanye on their show, and they shut him down because mm-hmm. he was spe- spewing anti-Semitic stuff. I mean, this is LeBron and Maverick Carter, two guys who are on the cutting edge, and if they're saying this isn't okay then I don't understand why the leagues and the teams don't drop them. At least tell Adidas, we're taking a break. Right. We're taking a break until you get this right. By the way, the editor-in-chief of Bild, the German daily newspaper today, he tweeted out this afternoon, mm-hmm. Adidas should call it anti-Semitism to quote one of their competitors, just do it. Oh, mm-hmm. oh dear. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, Jerry, we have time for one more after this, but Jerry? Wow. What an honor. Um, No problem. Um, I am a former ADL board member from the Central Region, so it's an honor to be on the same channel with with Jonathan 2 or 1, I don't know, as well as Jonathan Mm -hmm. 1 or 2 and Kara. I've been a fan. You know, I I think we have something to learn by Matt Kiefer, Dr. Matt Kiefer from Zionsville, community schools who doubled down when he said not all Nazis are bad. Listing Oscar Schindler, Carl Plaga, George Coleman, and he says, we just need to have a conversation. And this is where I would, I think Jonathan Greenblatt, I think, suggestion about the media. Let's invite them to a conversation. We should be talking to the Nazis on the one hand. But on the other hand, we've got to meet their terrorism more aggressively. Uh, Sharad Hadin. All right, I need a question, Jared. I need, I need a question. Out of Israel, choose terrorists for the money that supports them. Okay, let, let me get a question. I need a question. So the question is, do you agree that we should have what Jonathan Greenblatt asked for? Mm-hmm. The media being responsible for bringing in conversations. And number two, using litigation, the American litigation process to hurt these terrorists. I got it. Great. So look, first of all, thank you for being involved in the ADL. I appreciate it. I do think we've got to look at litigation. As Kara was saying, that when you have defamation, indeed, we can go after those parties, as we saw with Alex Jones. I also think in terms of inviting these people to speak, look, Kara, I will say this on your show for all to hear. I do not believe in cancel culture. I believe in council culture. So we have a tradition of embracing the sinner in ADL and helping people to understand why what they've said is hurtful or wrong and trying to work with them to figure out a better path forward. That's always our approach. The challenge becomes that someone like Kanye does it with impunity, is unwilling to listen or even acknowledge the offense. That's where you need consequences. And you mentioned Mel Gibson earlier, and we're talking about We're talking about Kanye today. I believe in council culture, but there needs to be consequences when someone really, you know, crosses a line. What What do you think, Jonathan Friedland? 
Yeah, I think that's right. That um, you know, the, the, the calling out this sort of action and being brave enough to say, even if you feel sometimes that you're being, and I know Jewish organisations often feel this, that we're being kind of broken record. You know, we've said this so often, we go on about it, uh, and you can be, uh, you know, it, it can make you hesitate to raise this, but actually, it has to be. Uh, raised, there is something very alarming, I think, going on with the examples Jonathan Greenblatt has mentioned in the United States. And I do think the weight of history does help. And the reason, by the way, I went back to the Rudolf Verber story, I first came across it when I was 19 years old myself, was partly because of this true, this age of misinformation and disinformation that we're in now. I think it can be very unnerving to feel this is something wholly new. Actually, it, it isn't new. Uh, the point about the Nazi period and all the deceptions was they were in the business of they didn't call it fake news and in uh, or, or you know post truth it was but it was about lying and how important lying is to those people who spread hate. The reason why Verbal was significant was he was determined to get the truth out from underneath this mountain of lies. But when people sort of tell you you know ah oh, you know they and they shrug and those politicians who lie and they sort of indulge them. Truth matters in such a big way because what Verba understood was the difference between truth and lies is the difference between life and death. It can be that serious. And therefore, when we take a stand about misinformation on disinformation, fake news, lies on social media platforms, this isn't just about our, you know, the hygiene of our Twitter timeline. This is really serious stuff. And the reason the Verba case is so important is it's so extreme, but it illustrates how central this can really be. You know, I was giving a speech and someone was talking about, you know, different things. And I said, Hitler didn't need Instagram, but boy, if he had it, right? Yeah. My yeah. word. Yeah. Look, that that's the Sasha Baron Cohen point, right? Kara, Sasha has talked about this. Like Goebbels could have invented Facebook. He would have loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, autocrats love social media and stuff. But in any case, my last question for you, and we do have to go actually, is are you uh, hopeful or hopeless or somewhere in between each of you? First, Freeland. Well, I, I think you've got, still got to be hopeful. And i tell you one reason why I say that is if even somebody like Rudolf Herber, given everything he'd seen, he was in Auschwitz for two years nearly, unusually long time, saw so much. Nevertheless, he kept on going and was determined, uh, even in later life, actually, a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, but he still put one foot in front of the other. I think there's it's all, help, hopelessness is almost a luxury that we have no right to, really, given um, what other people have seen. So I'm still hopeful, partly because, you know, I look at the way for every person who has, you know, given a thumbs up to Kanye West, there are people who have condemned him. There are people who are listening to this conversation now. There are people who are open to hearing it. And so you, you have to feel hope with those people there. And as I say, I think it's almost a duty. Uh, the despair is is a luxury I think we can't afford. Uh, Jonathan uh, Greenblatt? I, I love what Jonathan Friedland said about, like, we don't have the right, you know, when people have been through so much worse to not be hopeful. Look, I do have a degree of kind of cautious optimism. I mean, for what it's worth, I believe in American exceptionalism. I mean, this country, this democracy has bounced back from global conflict, civil war, you know, e economic depression, you know, uh, natural calamities. And like, this is a dark, this is definitely a dark moment. And if you're a Jewish person, you feel it. But on the other hand, Jews, we live with so many rights today. We live with so many privileges today and we have systems that support us. And so while I am not pleased with where things are, I am optimistic that, that better, you know, our better angels will prevail. Our younger generation, which is so thoughtful and so kind of worldly, will lead the day and, and we'll get to the right place. May take right. time. I, I am hopeless. I am hopeless. So I will stay on that. I think we've gone way too far. Anyway, we'll see. Um, today's Twitter Space was produced by Michelle Berg and Naima Raza. Thanks also to Amber Davis, Chris Shirtleff, and the Twitter's Spaces team. We'll see who you're working for next week. We're very excited to find out. Um, Jonathan and Jonathan, thank you so much. David Wilson engineered this episode. Special thanks to Blake Nishik, Christian Castro-Rosell, and Rafaela Seward, the fearless producers who make us sound great every Monday and Thursday, and sometimes on other days, too. Thanks for listening. We'll be back Thursday with a fresh episode of On with Kara Swisher. 